So, Asha, with all the evidence that Fox News was lying about the 2020 election, is this the end of Fox News as we know it? Hmm. It's complicated. I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent and a legal and national security analyst. And I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet. Oh boy. So, <laughs> so Renato, um, one of the big things that happened this past week is that uh, we were able to see the motion for summary judgment, which was filed by Dominion Voting Systems in its defamation lawsuit against Fox News. So um, we can we can break down like exactly what that what that means. So uh, Dominion has so sued Fox News for defamation for false statements that it made that basically Dominion voting systems um, was falsifying votes and engaged in various types of conspiracies to throw the election to Joe Biden. And they've sued Fox News for one point six million dollars. No what? I mean, oh, billion it, dollars. Yeah, I sorry, million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> this is like, place, a, it's like a Doctor <laughs> Evil moment. I know, one I know. million dollars. One point six okay. billion dollars. Um, <laughs> one point six billion dollars, uh, which is a lot of money. And the, you know, in order to show defamation, um, the court ruled that Fox News is quote unquote, a public figure, meaning that the standard, the legal standard for proving defamation is higher. Um, it's not enough to show that they were publishing false statements. Um, it's that they have to show that they acted with actual malice, meaning that they knew the statements to be false and acted with a reckless disregard for the truth. Um, and so they lay out they're basically all the evidence that they've gathered at this point through discovery. And they filed a motion for summary judgment. Um, and do you want to explain really quickly what a motion for summary judgment is? Sure. So in a civil lawsuit, um, when you file it, uh, at, a, at an early stage, uh, it, you know, as long as as long as what you set forth could be a potential claim, the case goes forward. And there's what what. Asha mentioned a moment ago discovery, which is essentially uh, both sides uh, can get documents from each other. You can have people sit for depositions where they you ask them questions under oath. Um, and then you get to a point in the lawsuit, in a civil lawsuit, where you can move, as Asha said, for summary judgment, which essentially means that you can put all the facts that you have in front of the judge. You put some of the transcripts from the depositions, you put the documents, pieces, and you know, your greatest hits from all the documents together. And you basically tell the judge, there's no real, there's no, they, the, the standards, there's no genuine issue of material fact here and that you're entitled to relief. In other words, it, it, to use the example you said, Asha, actual malice. So here I think Dominion may be a public figure, whatever it is, there's an actual malice standard here. And malice, as you said, is not hatred or anything like that. It's that you, you, you I think you uh, articulated it, reckless disregard for the truth. So what Dominion was trying to show here is that Fox News knew what the truth was and, and essentially actively disregarded it. 
um, in order or were recklessly disregarded what the truth was. They didn't care what the truth was. They just cared about a certain narrative. Right. And so if their motion for summary judgment is granted, they, they're basically saying there's nothing to go to trial. There's nothing for a jury to decide. Right. And so they're basically asking for the to essentially bypass the, the jury trial and have the court say that as a matter of law, they've met the legal standard. Right. That's why they're using all the quotes from the Fox News personalities and executives, because the point is, even if you you take the other side's words as true uh, and just credit the Sean Hannity's of the world and the and the CEOs of Fox News and all of them, even their words, you just take their self-serving words. Uh, that's a, that that's enough. And, you know, they I will say, I mean, one of the most interesting things about this, Asha, to me um, is, you know, I am. I, you know, I, I have seen a lot of defamation suits. I've litigated some, my law firm litigates a lot of them. Uh, it's a big practice of ours, but I also am asked, and I know you're asked to comment on them in the news. And most of the time I have to explain to people that these lawsuits, there's a very high bar and these lawsuits are often filed just to get a kind of get a narrative out there and like to make a statement, but they're not really serious lawsuits, particularly ones, you know, Trump files, a lot of them. But in this case, like this is like what actual malice looks like, right? I mean, this is really something. I've never seen evidence this strong. Yeah. So, you know, to the point of looking at the facts, even in the light most favorable to Fox News, the problem is, is that in their depositions, they're all admitting that they did not believe these claims of voter fraud. All of them are acknowledging that and conceding that they knew that Joe Biden won. So it's not even that they're trying to make some claim that um, that they, you know, had some bona fide uh, belief in this. I think it looks like what Fox News is, you know, at least initial defense was, was, well, this was all opinion. And I think the right. court um, had to, had rejected that claim very early on that. Um, this was not something that they were presenting as opinion. They were presenting it as fact. They were presenting it as uh, as incontrovertible evidence, as news, um, with the intention for their audience to believe it. Not, hey, this is my opinion. There, you know, you can look, you can check somebody else's opinion and and come to your own conclusion. Um, but to your point about, you know, how it's different. What I think is really interesting here is they are describing. Um, basically a business model from the top down, right? This isn't a defamation mm -hmm. case against, you know, just Tucker Carlson or just Sean Hannity. This is against Fox News as an organization that was making editorial decisions at the very top to very consciously and very deliberately promote narratives which they fully knew to be false and which even internally they were describing as BS, completely nuts. Um, you know, they were describing Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani as, you know, crazy. Um, and to the point of actual malice, I mean, there's in fact one incident where a journalist at Fox News is looking is trying to fact check Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson goes off the rails and writes to the people at the top saying that she needs to be fired immediately for trying yeah. to uncover the truth. Yeah, that that was I think one of the most amazing and strongest pieces of evidence presented by Dominion is when the news side at Fox News, you know, th there's this sort of um 
you know, artificial uh, distinction that's drawn between their sort of daytime programming and the evening programming that the evening programming is all opinion and we can say whatever we want. But during the day, we get some real journalists. And the point is there, there are some at Fox that, that do try. And she was a great example. She, by the way, I checked after I saw that quote, I'm like, where does she work now? And she works at CNN now. Um, but you know, at the time she's a real journalist and she's uncovering the truth and, and stating it out there. I actually watched the clip on the air where she said it. And like you said, that was the reaction. And, you know, one of the phrases that I find very interesting from that complaint, and the reason I find it interesting is because I've heard it before. I'm very interested in this. I read a lot about sort of the right-wing disinformation stuff, is this, this, this phrase, respect the audience. And that is like the Fox News internal euphemism. If you are saying the truth about something that does not comport with whatever the right-wing BS meme is of the day – then you'll get a phone call from some bigwig who's like, quote, respect the audience. And what that means is the audience has certain biases, prejudices, and beliefs, and we have to parrot those back on the air. And if we don't, we're going to actually lose viewers and lose money. And so you've got to basically, you know, toe the party line and, and parrot disinformation. Right. And I'm actually writing about this for my Substack post uh, this week, which will hopefully be out Ooh. tomorrow. So you can go to asharangapa.substack.com. Um, it's a, you can get a free subscription that will include this particular post. Um, this is like well, the behind the episode. This is behind the pod- episode. <laughs> but basically, I, I offer like there's actually a model for understanding this. It's called the propaganda feedback loop. And the idea here is that unlike traditional media organizations, which strive to both, you know, appease their audience, but also balance that with um, truthful news because there are consequences for reporting inaccurately, right? Like they'll be exposed as dishonest and they might, you know, people aren't going to watch them. Um, When you get into this far right ecosystem, the goal is not accuracy. It's providing identity confirming narratives. In other words, they have to produce identity confirming narratives. Partly to keep their audience, but partly because they themselves have conditioned the audience so that to believe that any non-identity conforming narratives can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if you hear something that that conflicts with what you believe or, you know, with how how you, um, you know, your partisan identity, then it is fake news. So in other words, they, they're sort of in a conundrum of their own making. Um, and we see this because when I think initially they, you know, are actually reporting, I think after the call for Arizona and, um, you know, in, in these initial stages where they're not completely towing this uh, big lie, they start losing audience and not losing audience to, you know, CNN or NBC. They're losing um, audience share to OAN and Newsmax um, to even farther right sites because those sites, because what the audience is moving to is where can I hear what I want to hear because anything that I hear that doesn't conform to what I already believe is news that can't be trusted. And of course that, you know, Fox News eats itself basically if it tries to um, go down the road of any, any form of real journalism. Yeah, I remember during that time that Trump was tweeting for people. He was criticizing Fox News and tweeting for his followers to Mm. look at these alternatives, right? And it's because they were giving kind of an unflinching um, 
uh, reflexive, uh, uh, you know, affirmation of that narrative. It's interesting because there were, of course, lawsuits threatened there as well. I'm sure you uh, also remember uh, that I'm sure you've seen the clips of these uh, uh, Newsmax anchors shutting down people who are saying lies about Dominion on the air because Dominion had, I think, a very strong claim against Newsmax and OANN as, as well and, you know, was going after them legitimately. And I think it's interesting because this seems to me like one of the rare, you know, rare areas where you can see very – uh, like the public can see very d- distinctly and succinctly how law can matter because it, let's just be real. If, if dominion did not have the right to bring defamation suits n- like Fox, you know, Fo- not only with Fox news, you know, probably, you know, be continuing to, to talk about dominion on the air, but Newsmax, all these, uh, these outlets. And I think dominion has actually accomplished something for itself with these suits. Even if they ended today, they, they, I think they've made uh, made their point, and I think in the future there will be some care that's taken when you're talking about companies that have a significant amount of money that can potentially litigate against you. Yeah, and I would, I would think of defamation lawsuits as a way of protecting the integrity of the information market, right? Um, I mean, we have, we talk about the marketplace of ideas. You know, you have other types of markets. You have the securities market, and so you have to put in certain kinds of regulations to keep it fair to keep it, um, you know, on an equal playing field. Like you, we, we don't allow insider trading, for example. And I think what this does is take players who have enormous power in that market and hold them to a standard so that they can't, um, or at least that there are costs to trying to distort it in a, in a significant way, because otherwise people can't true, can't meaningfully choose between, good ideas and bad ideas if if the information being presented to them is is false but being presented as true. Yeah, so in uh, a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, first of all, you see a lot less regulation in this marketplace, the marketplace of, of ideas. Yeah. Um and that's because of the first amendment. So I want people to understand that. Like a lot of times people are frustrated that like can't we do more about disinformation, you know, my Family members are being brainwashed by so-and-so, and and the answer is probably we can't do much because of the First Amendment. But this is definitely um, an exception to that rule. That's, I think, an important point. And another thing I would also say is, you know, it it, it nonetheless is an imperfect, you know, um, instrument. In other words, and this is the case for all regulation. If if I if if I have a regulation, you say insider trading, and the the penalty is a million dollars. Uh, for your insider trading. Well, if I can make, if I think that I can make a profit and my chances of getting caught are, you know, less than 50%, let's say I can make my million dollar profit. Well, I'll take the chance anyway. And if I get cost, that's just the cost of doing business. And so one thing that'll be interesting to see here, like you said, there's a big money, not millions, billion uh, plus that, <laughs> that they're seeking. Um, will the cost be high enough? That the Fox News is like, you know what, we are not going to we're going to be careful about some of this stuff in the future. We're be a little bit more careful, even if it means on the edge, we're going to lose some some viewers to Newsmax. Yeah. And I don't know what this means for their bottom line. I don't know if having to pay one point six billion. You know, cripples them or takes them out. Um, and, and Renato, just in terms of penalty, is it possible for 
even higher damages to be awarded. And um, my another question I have for you is, what other remedy does Dominion have? Like, can they can the, can a court order Fox to say on air we lied about these claims? Because I, if I were Dominion, that's what I would want too. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think, by the way, the, the way this is going to resolve itself is a settlement. I mean, I, I just so everyone understands why that's the case. Like, let's just say that Dominion gets a judgment for $1.6 billion. And by the way, Fox News has more than $1.6 billion cash on hand, I read. It. it has billions on hand. So they could pay that. It would be very substantial. I mean, I have clients that will pay me a lot of money to defend a $10 million lawsuit, much less a, you know, $1.6 billion. I mean, that in a major corporation takes, you know, a, ten, a like I said, a $10 million, much less a $1 billion lawsuit seriously. So I do think, you know, this is a serious business to, to Fox News, but let's say a judgment is entered against Dominion for $1.6 billion. It doesn't get paid immediately. It's not like Fox just writes a check the next day. What ends up happening is, you know, they have a right to appeal and so on. And, you know, there, there's going to be a long drawn out process where, um, you know, Dominion's going to try to collect that. And usually, ultimately, what ends up happening is some sort of settlement is reached. And usually, that a sort of apology that you're talking about is part of the settlement because it, it, it's something that doesn't actually cost, in this case, Fox News, anything, but it means something to Dominion. It means more to Dominion than it means to Fox News. Um, so that's usually how that stuff ends up getting resolved. And I suspect, I don't really know what happened with like Newsmax, but I've seen enough clips of their anchors on the air reading like scripted statements about how, you know, how Dominion's super awesome uh, that I think there must have been some sort of settlement or resolution there. Right, because they were sued too, right? Yeah, I think so, but that they they don't they don't have billions in the bank, so they decided not to yeah. fight it. I think Fox yeah. News, I think Fox News made a, a decision, and it's often a smart decision for a company like, hey, let's try to grind this out, and you know, you know, we might we might do better. I mean, one thing that Fox News has to think about too is for them. This is not just like a one-time thing. In other words, if they pay a lot of money to, let's say, Dominion sues and they just pay them, well, then uh, you know who's going to sue next? Like, is Ilhan Omar going to sue? Like all these people that they use as like tropes on Fox News all the time. Like, are they mm -hmm. all going to be suing? Uh, Eric Swalwell, or is he going to sue next? So you know, ultimately, uh, they I think they want to make a statement that like. You better have a lot of money. I mean, Dominion is a, a for-profit enterprise, and presumably they had the money to do this, uh, but not everyone would. Yeah. And uh, is your sense that the motion for summary judgment won't be granted? Or do you think there's a, a chance that it will in this case? I think it's a chance that it will. It's interesting because if you told me there's, hey, we got this First Amendment lawsuit. We're trying to prove actual malice. I'd be like, wow, good luck with that. Um, you know, that's very tough. The idea of winning on summary judgment is really something because it's yeah. like, wow. Um, but it might happen here. And I think that's that's interesting. And it's just the goalposts are so high. Um, the fact that we're even thinking that it might, they might be met here is like absolutely astonishing. There was just a report released from the special grand jury that was convened by District Attorney Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, and I'm going to let you take it from there and tell me what you think, 
what it mm-hmm. means, where where we go from here, and whether it's changed your view of of anything on that particular thread of the of the yeah. Trump saga. Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't talked about this for a little while. It's almost like forgot about Dre, where it kind of came back. You're like, <laughs> oh, I guess Dr. Dre's making albums still. It's like, oh, okay, forgot about Fanny uh, Willis. Uh, she's she's back. Um, it, it you know, so the special there was a special report, a very limited excerpts of the special report that came out um, from the grand jury. I will say. From a, the journalists all were telling me privately, like, like, this is a dud. Like, they thought this was going to be this big thing, and there's only a few lines in it. What I would say is that it was very heavily redacted. You know, I um, there's also some posts from Donald Trump. It's in, I think, whatever is his thing. Truth oh, social. yeah, where he's like, my name is not mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, because it got redacted, dumbass, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, but uh, – yeah, I, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of things got redacted there. The reason why, just so everyone knows, is that, you know, if, for example, we're preparing to indict Asha Rangapa and we mention this um, in our d- document while potentially poisoning the jury pool, um, if I say, hey, we've determined that Asha's committed five crimes and then I only indict you for four, then you're going to say, hey, you know, the, the you know, the the prosecutors unfairly told the world that I, they believe that I committed this fifth crime and, you know, they didn't indict me and I don't have any due process. So it creates a lot of problems. So the smart thing to do is to redact uh, all that stuff, which they did. So what do we know? What does this sort of suggest? I mean, one thing is I am like absolutely convinced that she's going to indict Trump. And that, that takes a lot for me to say. Anyone who's listened to me for a while knows that that is sort of the opposite of where I am. But she's just every signal from her is just like she can't wait to go on television to talk about the potential that she could be or she's indicting him. Like she's just super uh, ready to do it. And she's elected official just in a county that voted very heavily against Trump. It was just a lot of things that makes it kind of add uh, you can add two plus two and see that that you're going to get there with her. Um, I think. Can I quest- just can I just add in her mm-hmm. defense? She sure. is the DA, and her ca- her specific county did suffer a harm True through well. the various you know false allegations that Trump was making and that people on his behalf were making about people voting falsely, and we heard about Fulton County officials who've been harassed and you know had to go into hiding because of things that he was saying so i mean i do think that to the extent that prosecutors try to represent the people and vindicate the harms and, and, and injuries to them I, I do think she's doing that in this case i mean that that is legitimately there yeah i'm not I, i'm not saying the prosecution isn't warranted i'm not saying that but what i'm saying is the reason i'm so circumspect about like what will jack smith do next or you know that sort of thing is because i genuinely have no idea what that guy's going to do i mean we've seen some photos of that guy i like his beard uh you know but i i don't i don't know anything about him i mean he's just sort of whatever he's doing you know, she's not she wears her, her heart on her sleeve. So we, we kind of we can kind of read between the lines with her in a way that we can't with these people who aren't. And I and I, I, I that's not my style. It's not what I would do if I was in her shoes, uh, even though I I'm not afraid to talk uh, publicly or talk on television. I wouldn't do that if I had that job. But it is what it is. So I, I do feel confident that that's going to happen. Um, and so I just viewed this as sort of sort of an interesting preview. And I think. A couple thoughts on it, I'll just say. I mean, one is there's this line that people have focused on where the, the, the grand jury believes some people lied to them. 
Uh, one thing I will just say is it, it's probably the, uh, it, the the take that I would have of there is probably the opposite of what you would think. In other words, there's been all this speculation that because of that one sentence that they're going to indict person A, B, C, or D. Like, oh, is Rudy Giuliani indicted, going to be indicted for perjury? And I think – I actually think it's the opposite. I think that statement suggests to me that no one's going to be indicted for that stuff. In other words, if somebody was going to be indicted for lying to the grand jury – there would be an, a section that would have been redacted that says Rudy Giuliani lied when he said ABC. And actually we have, you know, complete and, uh, you know, we have a proof beyond a reasonable doubt that, you know, that was false and he knew it was false. They didn't say that here. It's basically there's just a statement, a majority, not unanimous, a majority of the grand jury believed. In other words, they don't know, but they believe they think they've concluded that there's there, that some of the witnesses lied and it's just vague. So I don't think that there, anything's going to happen there. And then uh, there's this statement that, you know, they they believe they concluded that there was no widespread fraud uh, that influenced the or over would have overturned the election in Georgia, which is no surprise to anybody who's been paying attention unless you've been watching a lot of Fox News. Um, but, um, you know, it's it, it just it's, I think, further indication uh, that, you know, there's likely to be charges against Trump for something, because I think that that sort of. Um, cuts against you know some of what his defenses or claims would be, and and what are your thoughts on how soon that would be? I would think weeks. I mean, she's got to present this. My understanding. I'm not a Georgia lawyer, but my understanding of the procedure in Georgia, she's got to get another grand jury and you know represent the evidence. So that's going to take some time. It'll take a few weeks, several weeks. I don't know. She's also. I suspect that there's an internal debate in the Fulton County DA's office as to. What what charges to bring? Do you bring kind of like a thick indictment or a thin indictment, so to speak? Like, you know, do you include just your strongest charges or do you throw RICO and all this other stuff in there? Uh, I would counsel for a thinner indictment. But, you know, there there's different uh, uh, there's room for honest disagreement. And what was the point of doing this through a special grand jury? Bef like, in other words, how would this have been different if she had just had a regular grand jury this whole time like do you know what i'm saying i don't i don't, I don't know that that i don't know because i'm not I, I i don't understand the procedure in georgia state yeah. law i will just say that i mean i did a lot of grand jury work when i was a federal prosecutor we never had special grand juries we never issued grand jury support reports um you know uh, we would uh we would have you know use we, they were called sometimes special grand juries but the specialness of them was just that they had a longer term so we had mm -hmm. we could turn them over less uh just to for the reduced administrative burden but like they were always just you know we were just we we're never issuing reports we we're just putting through indictments i just wonder if it's like to add to this idea that she's being extra cautious like you know like i didn't just go charging into a grand jury to you know bring evidence to indict him i first had all the evidence vetted by a special grand jury i got back their opinion on what they thought of the evidence and whether it should even move up to the next level that's I, i'm wondering if that's a plausible interpretation I, I will one thing i will praise about hers i don't i do think that she has approach this investigation with the sort of rigor that is required for a first of its kind indictment against the former president of the United States for a crime that probably has never been committed in this fashion in that district ever before. And so, um, you know, she, she interviewed, I think, something like 75 witnesses, some enormous number of witnesses were interviewed and provided testimony. Um, she's taken her time with this. There's been a lot of resources put into it. Um, it's apparent that she's been, 
you know, really, she's been consulting with some smart people. And while I've, I joked, uh, because that's part of, you know, it's part of the fun of our podcast about, you know, her making statements. She's, I think, been careful not to say anything specifically that would create problems. And the redaction of the grand jury report, I think, is 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 evidence of that. I mean, I think that was the right and the savvy approach. She's not doing anything that I think will undermine the prosecution. So um, I do think if I was in Trump's shoes, I mean, I, th- I don't know if he's getting bad advice or what, but I wouldn't be tweeting like there's nothing about. <laughs> I'd be shocked if he's getting bad advice. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I, I don't think that there's I don't think that my my reaction to this wouldn't be, oh, I'm not going to be mentioned. I'm not going to be charged. I'd be like, OK, I'm going to be charged and I'd rather be charged by her than by the DOJ. Um, but it's still going to be a real problem. Like getting charged with a, a felony is a real problem, you know, no matter where that is from. So, Asha, uh, you made the news this week. I, I have to tell you, you were all over my Twitter feed for re- different reasons than I thought. <laughs> I, I, we have to discuss this before we go because I, it's rare that you are your own news topic. Yes, and I I was covered I was covered in right wing uh media, uh ironically enough. So it's coming first full circle. Wow. Yeah, so you're you're kind of a big deal. So okay, help me understand what happened and why why is your name on Twitter suddenly something different? Like what 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 happened? <laughs> well, well, after Nikki Haley announced her candidacy, um, you know, a lot of people were commenting on her and uh, I chimed in, um, and some people regurgitated, uh, an earlier, a tweet that from a couple of years ago where I called her out, this was when she said, there's no racism in America and, um, or America is not a racist country. And I had tweeted to her, oh, is that why you go by Nikki instead of, um, your first name? And, uh-huh. you know, that and, and then what happened was at that time, people like somebody, I guess, decided to go on Google and saw <laughs> that Asha, which you know, and saw that Asha is my middle name. They're like, ha ha, she goes by her middle name, too. And so this became like their big gotcha, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's never it's never been a secret that I have a first name um, that's different. Uh, Reinica. Uh, and so. um and I, my, my tweets auto delete like after a year. Um, and oh, so some, I didn't know that. Oh. yeah, yeah, they do. Um, and so, um, somebody was like, oh, she deleted this tweet. She's, you know, um, you know, I, she's not trying the name thing again. Da, 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 da. And I was like, there's no name thing to try. Like, I go by my middle name. This is precisely why I get. And I, you know, I understand what where Nikki's coming from, um, and I just want her to acknowledge it. And so this became like a big thing on whether you know um, I'm trying to hide my hair. Like if I'm accusing Nikki of hiding her heritage, am I hiding my heritage by going by Asha? And I'm like, I don't know that I could really hide my heritage. Like it, I think it's pretty obvious. And I think, and or it's like, you're saying she can't go by her middle name and you go by your middle name. And I think they were just really missing the point, which is, you know, anybody can go by their middle name. The question is, is that a part of a strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just that Nikki goes by her middle name. I mean, in, tw- in 2001, she 
um, checked that she or she identified herself as white on her voter registration three years before she ran for office. I mean, she's she's what, 29 years old then? And all of a sudden she's suddenly thinks that she's white. And then, um, you know, she hasn't really leaned into her immigrant background until uh, just recently, I guess. I don't know if she sees that Kamala Harris has made it work. And now that this is, you know, so I feel like there's like a, a broader thing going on. And I think what angers me about Nikki is that she denies that there's any racism. And even more so, what makes me angry is that she equates any kind of acknowledgement of that or criticism of race in America as somehow not loving your country or being disloyal to it. I mean, that's really the underlying implication. And I think that in doing that, she really uh, dishonors and gaslights other children of immigrants who have grown immigrants and children of immigrants who have grown up grown up here who love their country fiercely but also understand that it was it's hard and you know Nikki is 2 years older than me like you know she we're basically the same age we grew up very in similar circumstances i too was the only indian person in my school we were the only indian family you know i i know what i saw in southeastern virginia and i would never claim that you know, racism didn't exist. Um, and that's kind of where I come from. But yes, it became a big item where people were just, you know, I don't know, we were going in circles about stuff. Um, and so uh, my Twitter name is now Ashley. Yeah. So what's up with that? Okay. Well, that I didn't get. So help <laughs> me understand that. I saw some of this back and forth. I kind of got the stuff with Nikki Haley, but what's the Ashley? Help me understand. I, I'm just, I'm just trolling. <laughs> I'm okay. just trolling. You know, I'm trying to hide my my. Oh, identity. you're trying to hide who you I'm are. I'm trying yeah. to hide my culture. It's so obvious, you know, because you're, you know, you look, I guess as soon white. as I I I put Ashley, it'll do that. I I'm gonna have different iterations. Um, I might change wow. it again today. Well, watch what's gonna happen is Elon Musk is gonna make it so you can't change your Twitter name again, and then you'll be stuck with it. I know. Then I'll be. I, I have thought about that. Um, <laughs> one thing, you know. So then I was on um, Mehdi Hassan's show on uh, mm -hmm. Sunday night with. Uh, Wajat Ali. So it's like three South Asians were all basically slamming on on Nikki Haley. Um, it's kind of amazing that uh, you know South Asians really can't stand her. Um, that's interesting. So is that, that you think that's sort of a universal thing? That's that's really interesting because I I at one point I actually thought okay she was sort of like I don't know if you remember she had this moment in South Carolina where she's like took down the Confederate flag and I'm like oh she's kind of like triangulating a little bit and trying to be a little bit more moderate and I, I thought she was interesting back then and then she turned out to be like a she opposed Trump at first and she she was with Rubio and then she went all in on Trump and she became this like Trump sycophant yeah and I think that's why she's such a fraud like she has actual no convictions or backbone she's like many of these um you know, MAGA Republicans who will change and shapeshift to do whatever they can to get power. Um, and, you know, if you actually, uh, a year before she took down the Confederate flag, there's a video that came out of her with the Sons of the Confederacy, where she's talking about, you know, how the Confederate flag really represents tradition and she's in favor of a Confederate history month. And so, I mean, I don't know, like, I, yeah. I'm... I'm glad she took it down. It took a massacre in a in a black church for that to happen. Um, so whatever. But I mean, look, when she first was elected, I, I was um, 
I was happy for her uh, and proud in a weird way as another, um, you know, Indian American. But, you know, she's just been a big disappointment. And I think at this point, we are very fortunate to have a number of South Asian politicians that, you know, one does not need to champion her um, as kind of the only representative of our group. We've, you know, made a lot of strides. So, you know, good for her that she was she was uh, on the front lines of that. Um, and I applaud that. But it doesn't mean that she doesn't suck. <laughs> I hear you on that. By the way, I think it is interesting that two of the most successful early like success South Asian politicians were, were Republican were Republican Southerners who used anglicized first names, right? Because didn't Bobby Jindal was Bobby Jindal someone? and they both converted to Christianity. Oh, did uh, Nikki is Nikki a, a Christian as well? I didn't know. Yes. That. So her okay. family is uh Sikh. Um and then at oh, some wow. point she uh she converted to Christianity and I believe Bobby Jindal is Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I don't That's and right. I don't I mean, you can double check this. I don't because there are Catholics in India and Christians. Um, I'm not sure if his family was. I don't think so, because his his original name does not tell me that um, he's from mm. a region of India that um, is predominantly Catholic. Yeah. But yes. And so, like, I don't know. It's like, you know, Bobby, his, his first name is Piyush. But look, I get it. Like, we all had to cope, man. I mean, it was hard being Indian in the 80s. And you know, 90s. Um, It's just nice when the people who have succeeded and overcome that can acknowledge that, you know, it was hard. And, you know, it was easier than maybe some other groups, but it was also different and hard compared to, um, you know, your average, you know, American who's been here for generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, maybe, maybe you'll be uh, in the uh, A block of a future episode. This is uh, this is interesting. Uh, I, I find the, to me the most interesting part of it was that you that you got sucked into it. Um, yeah, but, it took up uh, my whole day on Thursday. Amazing. <laughs>